1: and welcome to The Total Soccer Show. My name is Joe Lowry, and today I'm joined by The Athletics and Allocation Disorders' Sam Stageskull. Sam, thanks for coming on the show. How are you?
2: Of course. Thank you for having me on, Joe. I am doing well, you know, recovering from post-MLS Cup week. Uh, Still a lot of news bouncing around, so, you know, not quite fully in recovery mode, I guess. We're still trucking. Um, But yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you for having
1: me on. Yeah, of course. I wanted to ask you about that, actually. We just saw the MLS season end on Saturday with the Columbus Crews win in MLS Cup. For you, things don't really drop, do they? Things pretty much are as busy now, I assume, <laughs> as they are during the season. Is that is that about right?
2: Usually the off season is busier for me than the season because there's so much stuff happening and it's more immediate and less... Uh, plannable, I guess, you know, during the season, you have a schedule, you know, what's coming, you know, there's the summer transfer window, but you're less surprised by news. Um And in the off season, there's just a ton of moving parts, particularly this off season, because we don't know when preseason or the 2021 regular season is going to start. So there's just like a ton of stuff to work out and suss out and report. Um, so yeah, it's definitely a busy time. Um, I'm going to get away for a couple of weeks over the holidays and just throw my phone into a lake, I think, um, for my own personal well-being. Um, but yeah, it'll be right back to the grind for the rest of this week and starting again in January.
1: I mean, sam phones are kind of expensive. I don't know that I'd recommend throwing it in the lake, but I, I mean, as far as getting away from work goes, I guess that's a fine Honestly, solution. Honestly,
2: uh, it m- might be worth the uh, <laughs> whatever hundred, couple hundred bucks at this point.
1: Well, before we let you off the hook for the holiday season, you and I are going to talk some major league soccer. The, the MLS season just ended, as I already said. And so on today's show, we're going to do a couple different things. We're going to sink our teeth into Saturday's MLS Cup, and then we're going to answer some MLS-themed Listener question Sam, does that all sound good to you? Sounds great, let's do it. Fantastic. So to close out the MLS Cup playoffs, Columbus and Seattle played in Columbus, Ohio at Matt Frey Stadium in MLS Cup and the crew won three to nothing. Even though that game was at home for Columbus, I kind of thought they were the underdogs going into that game and I, I suspect that I wasn't alone. but after halftime Columbus was already up two to nothing and then they added a third goal in the second half. Sam, were you just as surprised with how thoroughly the crew beat the Sounders as I was? Uh
2: Yeah, I think so. Um After Darlington Nagby and, and Pedro Santos, after it was revealed that they were going to miss the match because they picked up COVID in the week of the game, what went from a pretty even matchup with, I think, many people leaning Sounders became a, a situation where everyone was picking the Sounders and no one gave the crew much of a chance. Um in a bizarre way, in hindsight, I feel like maybe that played in, into the crew's hands a little bit. You know, this MLS postseason has been all about, like, coaches fighting with each other over who the real underdog <laughs> is. <laughs> and uh, Caleb Porter, you know, he had a good hand to play in that regard once Santos and Nagby went out. And they got awesome, awesome contributions from Lucas Zalarean, who was incredible with two goals and an assist. And with it from Aiden Morris, a 19-year-old, a kid, a rookie who had only played, I think, 360 minutes entering the match, uh, had made no more than a handful of starts in his life. Um, And he came in and he looked the part and then some. Um, So, they got awesome contributions there. They played a little bit differently than they usually do, but not all that much differently. And uh, they absolutely beat the Sounders' brains in. That game was not close.
1: We're going to get to the on-field stuff and, and dig into the, the items you mentioned there a little bit deeper in a minute. But I was talking to Jordan Angely on MLS Assist yesterday, and she she mentioned how perfect the win for Columbus was. Not because of the on-field stuff, but because of the Save the Crew storyline. In, in three years, Columbus has gone from nearly being moved—well, not the city being moved, but the crew being moved—to Austin, Texas, <laughs> to something. then hosting and then hoisting MLS Cup at home in Columbus— this story is pretty much ready for a documentary, isn't it? It it is. It's been
2: an incredible turnaround. Um, you know, I was actually at the first game in Columbus after that news broke in 2017, and I think it was Halloween uh, that year. It was a playoff game against NYCFC, and the mood was like it was so weird and unique and angry and sad and bitter. Um, and Columbus smashed New York in the game. I think it was four to one, um, in the first leg of a playoff series that year. Um, and, you know, the, the chants coming from from the stands, all corners, not just the supporters section, but a lot of expletives about Anthony P- Precourt for sure. Um, and it was a really interesting, unique atmosphere because you had all these people in Halloween costumes too, which only added to kind <laughs> of the flavor. Um, <laughs> and but, like, literally, like stadium workers were joining in on these chants, like ushers and concessionaires. And so, to go from that, where it's like, okay, like this might be it, this might be the last playoff game we ever see our club play. Um, to three years later, winning MLS Cup with an entirely new ownership group, an entirely new front office staff, um, not an entirely new group of players, a lot of holdovers from that year, in fact. Um, but a couple of key ones, Lucas Zellerion in particular, um, being a new signing uh, that the previous ownership group wouldn't have made just from a financial standpoint. So, yeah, it's been pretty incredible. I think they're really set up to do big things going forward. Um moving into their new stadium next summer. And there's no reason why Columbus can't be at the level of like a Kansas City or maybe even a Portland in terms of their profile, in terms of their spending, in terms of their fan support, all of that stuff. So, you know, you talk about launching into a new era, no better way to do it than what they just did.
1: You said it already with Lucas Zalarean scoring two of those Columbus crew goals on Saturday and assisting the third one. You wrote a piece about him after the game. You talked about what he's meant to this team and a little bit of how how Caleb Porter, at least, first was introduced to him on film. How did Columbus get Zeloray on? Because, man, he is so filthy good.
2: Yeah, well, he came, you know, at a weird point in his career. And he talked about this a little bit after MLS Cup on Saturday, but he wasn't playing at Tigres, really, by the end. He had become a reserve for the most part. I think he only started eight out of 20 games in his final, you know half season or half year season in Columbus the Klaus, or in Columbus at Tigres the Clausura and and so he was looking for something new he was looking to be reinvigorated he was looking for a new stimulation and he was looking to kind of come and be that number 10 to be the guy that would say all right Lucas this is your club like run it take us as far as you can go and Columbus gave him that opportunity they paid for it right they paid a lot of money for it 8 million dollar transfer fee was the reported figure and that's far and away a club record and not one we should expect to see the crew hit anytime soon really again. Like that's not going to be a regular thing for them. They're not going to be Toronto or Seattle or some of these teams that splash that cash kind of more often. But he went there and, and, and he got that revitalization and, and him and Caleb Porter seem to have a really strong bond. Um, and most importantly, you know, he's got a ton of quality, but I don't think he shows up if that opportunity isn't there right? A lot of factors had to come into play. One of them was the fact that he wasn't getting minutes at Tigres and was looking for a way out, and Columbus sort of arrived at the perfect time.
1: After watching that game on Saturday and watching Lucas Zelarayán do his thing, the thing he did during a lot of the MLS season when he was healthy, at least, after seeing that, I started thinking about how how he fits into this Columbus crew team, and more importantly, how the number 10 position can impact Major League Soccer. Even just looking at the final four teams in the MLS Cup playoffs, you've got Columbus with Lucas Alarean. You've got Seattle, who lost this game with Nico Ladero. You have the New England Revolution, who lost in the Eastern Conference Final to Columbus. They have Carles Gil, who's been phenomenal this season, again, when healthy. Then you've got Minnesota, who lost in the Western Conference Final. And they have Kevin Molino and Emmanuel Reynoso. From an MLS roster construction standpoint, is finding a quality playmaker, like all four of those teams I just said, like all those teams have, is finding that guy and then putting some solid pieces around him a sound and or realistic way to push your team into the MLS playoffs and then some?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think pretty much it's it's been borne out by history, right? That that signing is probably the key one that you can make. Um, and then you construct the rest of the spine kind of around it, right? So you can have a badass number 10, but if you don't have anything around him, it's going to be difficult, to, stay, to say the least. But if you look at the last, you know, you just talked about the conference finalists. If you look at the last, I don't know, five or six MLS Cup champions, we can go down the list. Zelaron, right? Ladero in 2019. 2018, Miguel Almiron. 2017, Javinco, right? 2016, Ladero again. 2015, Valeri. Like, we could keep going. You know, these are some of the best playmakers the league has ever seen, certainly in those individual seasons, some of the best playmakers in the league. Um, so, yeah, it's really, really important to have that guy. And I think one thing that a lot of those guys really share in common, um, particularly I, w- I would highlight Ladero in this in this way, on too, to an extent, and Almiron for sure, is that they're good on both sides of the ball. You know, they do a lot of pressing, um, they start attacks by, by helping win the ball in their opponent's third or half. Um, and then once they get on it, they obviously have all the quality in the world to either score themselves or set somebody else up for a goal. So yeah, I think maybe that's, that's probably the most important position in the league. Um, I think that's borne out by history. Um, and, and I think, you know, if you're going about building a roster, it's really important to get that spine right. Not just the number 10 position, but the center backs, the defensive midfielder and the striker too.
1: What's stopping some of these other MLS teams then, looking outside of the top of each table in the East and in the West, what's stopping some of these more bottom table teams from getting that guy? Do they not have the funds to do that? Are owners not willing to spend the cash? Or are they just not able to go out and find a quality number 10? Because honestly, there's plenty of those guys in global soccer. They're just not on these bottom tier teams in Major League Soccer.
2: Well, those guys are expensive. Right? Like, that's the one thing about it is they are expensive. And and if an owner is not willing to go out and get him, then it makes it more difficult. Even if an owner is willing to go out. And, like, think about P.T. Martinez or Ezekiel Barco. You know, guys that were brought in to play that role in, in some way, shape or form and underperformed and then left in the case of P.T. or underperformed and we're still kind of waiting for him to kick in in Atlanta in the case of Barco. So, there are a million different things that go into every signing. Sometimes you think you have it, right? Sometimes you think you got your guy and it hits and it's perfect. Sometimes, you know, no one predicted PT Martinez wouldn't be that great, right? We all thought he would come in and tear up MLS. No one, no one was quibbling with that signing at the time it was made and they spent plenty of money. Um, but I think for the most part, it is funds. You know, if you want to go in and, and, and rank them by how much money teams spend on them, you'll probably have a pretty direct correlation there. Um, so I think that's most of it. And then, Some teams decide they want to build in a different way, right? You think about LAFC, like Vela certainly plays that role for them, but he's mostly a wide player in a lot of ways, right? He's not a traditional number 10 by any means. Same thing with Rossi and Rodriguez, right? That hasn't hurt them. (laughs) They're doing okay. Um, But, you know, some teams want to build in a different way and that's fine too.
1: Let's move back a line from attacking midfield back into the center of midfield because I think I've waited about as long as I can before we really talk about him. It's Aiden Morris. With Nagby out with a positive COVID-19 test, Caleb Porter slotted the youngest starter in the history of MLS Cup into his double pivot alongside Artur. It's safe to say that Aiden Morris was really good. His teammates were bowing down to him after the game. Um, and, and so I've got thoughts on him. And I know you do too, Sam. And I want to start with you. What did you think of Aiden Morris in this game for the Columbus crew?
2: Yeah, I thought he was really good. Um, And my dog agrees, as you can (laughs) hear in the background. Um, (laughs) Sorry about that. No, I thought he was really good. And for me, the thing that stood out the most from his performance wasn't anything he did on the field necessarily. There wasn't like any one moment that was like, oh, my God. Not that he didn't have good moments. He played a role in, I think, two of the goals for the crew um, and and was really efficient and effective and clean throughout the game. Um, But it was just how unawed he was by the occasion right and maybe this is a case of like being too young and dumb to know what you're getting yourself into and you're just going out there and playing um but he just stepped right in and it was like it was another just like a regular academy match. And he's just running out there. There were zero nerves. Um, and that was really impressive to me, just the coolness of it all. Um, so that was really cool. I'm excited to see how he can build on this. I think it is important to note this was one game. We do tend to get carried away with things. Um, and while he had a very, very good game on the biggest possible stage that he could play on, um, it's only one game. And, you know, he's still got a lot of progress to make. I'm sure he would be the first to say that, but definitely promising signs. Joe, you mentioned this before we started recording and not to steal your thunder here, but it's not like this guy is in line for a ton of playing time in that midfield.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's Darlington Nagby and Artur ahead of him. Those guys are are penned into the lineup every single game that they're healthy for Caleb Porter, barring maybe a game here and there in a double fixture week or something like that. Aiden Morris is still the third guy in that midfield group. But that's not to take away from how good he was in this game, because we can worry about next season at some point down the line in this game. Mm-hmm. If I didn't know Darlington Nagby existed, and I, I do, so this example doesn't work. But if I had never heard of Darlington Nagby <laughs> before, and I'd turned this game on on Big Fox, and I'd watch the Columbus crew, and, and I saw Aiden Morris in that midfield, I would think he was the 30-year-old, 30-plus-year-old MLS veteran. In how he played, yep. he was cool, he was calm, he was collected, he was unfazed. Visibly unfazed. The the butterflies might have been going inside, but he looked in control. He stepped defensively and intercepted passes. He was active with his movement. He was clean on the ball. Columbus's first goal came from some side-to-side movement in possession, and then they worked the ball down the field to get into the box for Lucas Alarion, who scored with a one-touch finish. But that move started with Aiden Morris breaking out of pressure, turning like Darlington Nagby to spray the ball over to the left side and relieve that pressure that Seattle was putting on them. That was a microcosm of what Aiden Morris did in that game. He was he was unflappable in this game for the Columbus crew. And I I don't know if we're gonna see that going forward. You probably won't see a lot of it, as you said, Sam. But man, to have a younger kid like that come in and put in a performance like he did in this game, I was surprised, pleasantly surprised, I guess, because of how how good he was in this match. Looking at the head coach for the Columbus crew, it was Caleb Porter coming into this game without two of his his really biggest starting players. In Darlington Nagby and Pedro Santos. He tweaked his tactics a little bit, and I, I know you you wrote about this or covered this a little bit as well. He tweaked his tactics from the possession all the time style that I think he'd like to play in a perfect world. He changed it to a more direct attacking style. When the fullbacks won the ball for Columbus Harrison Offal or Milton Valenzuela, or when Eloy Room got the ball at his feet in goal, Columbus would attack. They would attack directly with more vertical balls down the field and less patient possession. That move worked because the crew consistently frustrated Seattle and beat them in transition. And it makes me think about Caleb Porter and how he's evolved as a coach from from his days in college at Akron and an assistant at Indiana, then with the U.S. Olympic team, then with Portland and now in Columbus. You've seen that closer than a lot of other people. Has Caleb Porter changed or has he always been willing to be a little bit flexible with how he plays soccer? I think he's probably
2: a little bit more flexible now than he was in the past. But if you think back to 2015, when he won the championship with the Timbers, a lot of that was because he moved Darlington Nagby from the wing to the middle, down the stretch. And Nagby teamed with Chara and Valeri. You talk about a midfield three right there, by the way. That's a pretty incredible group. Um... But a lot of their success down the stretch that season, because they were they were only average, really, for the first part of 2015. But a lot of their success down the stretch and in the playoffs was because of that switch. Um, and and so I think he's always been willing to be flexible. Um, he sort of spoke to that a little bit in post game. You know, obviously, you would love to play the way that you've played all season. And I don't think the crew, you know, I thought they they still tried to possess at times, um, but they were more. I guess intentional about being direct, but I liked the way that they were direct. It wasn't just okay hoof it long and see what happens, right? It was it was very targeted and they were being direct to attack, right? And I think that was kind of the key. And the Sounders didn't really have a response to that. Uh and that's something Christian Roldan talked about after the game. Um they didn't have a plan to counter that. And I think we saw that play out all night long.
1: Where does Caleb Porter rank in terms of the best coaches in MLS? He's won two MLS Cups at this point, one with Portland, as you said. Now with Columbus, where is he in that tier rankings?
2: Man, you know, I haven't thought about that question like so explicitly yet, so I might forget some folks here. Um, I wouldn't, I don't think I would put him above Bob Bradley necessarily, although his success in in playoff tournaments is... Definitely better than Bob's <laughs> at this point. Um, Bob only has one MLS cup to his name and Caleb has two. So those results kind of speak for themselves. Um, you know, i definitely put him up there. I think Greg Vanny is up there. Um, I think Bruce Serena is up there in his own very particular way. Uh, I think Jim Curtin did a great job this year, um, as did Oscar Pereja. Um, so I would say Caleb is definitely within that top group of coaches. Um, Peter Vermes is another guy who's had a lot of success over the years. Um, but this playoff run in particular, and in particular the final, I think kind of separates him a little bit from a few of those names I mentioned and puts him in the really the, the tip-top tier of MLS coaches.
1: Yeah, I kind of have him in the upper quarter or the upper third of the coaches in Major League Soccer. Not necessarily at the top, it's probably hard to pick one guy from the upper echelon coaches in the league, but he's in that group, certainly in that conversation, right?
2: Yeah, I think I would pick
1: Bob personally, um, but... Maybe not for a tournament. <laughs> <laughs> Sam, we've got listener questions to get to on today's show. But before we do that, do you have anything else you want to add on MLS Cup or anything else MLS Cup related at all that you wanted to get to? Uh,
2: Yeah, Uh, I think it's going to be really, really interesting to see what happens with Brian Schmetzer. Yeah, Uh, he was he's out of contract here at the end of the month. Uh, a lot has been made out of that. He's had a ton of success in Seattle, right? Um They've won what two championships, made four finals in five years. So that's incredible. Like any, if you had told Garth Lagerway and Adrian Hanauer when when they were making that change from Ziggy Schmidt to Brian in, in 2016 that that was gonna out, that's how the next five years would play out, they would have signed up for that in a heartbeat, right? And rightfully so. That being said, he was pretty clearly outcoached on Saturday, um, and that's not the first time the centers have been pretty badly outplayed in one of these MLS Cup finals. You know, really. 2016 when they won they did it without registering a shot on goal until the shootout which those don't count in the official stat book (laughs) um and in 2017 you know they got outplayed badly by toronto to be fair that toronto team was pretty good so i don't want to harp too much on that uh last year uh, against tfc in seattle they they played great Um, well, not great, but they they played kind of an even first half and Seattle took control in the second. And then this year, again, they got outplayed in the final. So it's going to be really interesting to see where the Sounders go, what that deal ends up looking like. Um, I think he ends up back there. Uh, I think it'll just be for less money than it would have been had Saturday gone differently.
1: Yeah, I talked with Matt Pence about the Brian Schmetzer contract situation before MLS Cup last week, and he pretty much said the same thing. He expects that Brian Schmetzer will be back but, man, that whole situation kind of blows my mind as an outsider. This guy's won a lot of things, and, and I appreciate you walking us through those MLS Cups. They haven't always been convincing wins when they have been in MLS Cup and won that trophy. But, man, it's hard to argue with that kind of success. It
2: really yeah, is. Yeah, also, who who cares if it's convincing or not in MLS Cup, right? It doesn't matter. Um, that's the ultimate survive and... I guess not advanced. There's nothing to advance to. You survive and, and lift the trophy game, right? Um But I think it also merits mentioning that the Sounders haven't been great in the regular season under Schmetzer. They've been good, but not amazing. Um And, you know, I think, like, given the talent on that roster, I think they've done about what they maybe underperformed a little bit in the regular season and overperformed in the postseason. And I think that's a fair way to assess it. And depending on what you value, I guess, is how you make that judgment. I would be very surprised if he wasn't back, to be clear. And I think he should be back, to be clear. Um, But it's just going to be curious to see how the process works.
0: This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to
1: an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. We will see what happens with Brian Schmetzer in Seattle, but before we can do that, before we can even sign that contract, we're talking listener questions. We've got a great list of questions that you all submitted dear listeners. Up First, this one is probably my favorite. I had to put it first. DG asks, which player would you have erected a gigantic golden CGI statue of that embodies quintessential Major League Soccer? I feel like we went zero to 100 there from Brian Schmetzer into listener questions and then straight into one of the strangest questions I trust that's ever been asked on the Total Soccer Show. So first of all, Sam, do you want to try to explain the giant golden CGI statues that DG is talking about?
2: Ah, oh, man. Let me see what I can do here. Testing <laughs> the limit of my narrative abilities. Um, and to be fair, I was doing a little bit of like pre-writing, uh, while this was going on. So I didn't quite catch all of it, but yeah, basically CGI graphics that Fox put up. I think Carlos Valderrama was in the mix. They were taller than the stadium itself. They were gold and it was just kind of like, all right, like this is, this is like pretty metal. I guess we're going for it. And like an assortment of other league legends and, um, It was weird, but like kind of fun. So, (laughs) I feel like that fits the general aesthetic of MLS. Weird, but kind of fun.
1: That was a a great description.
2: Yeah. And in terms of who I would want to see up there, I mean, you know, you have some obvious candidates, right? Like a Miguel Almiron, you know, incredible player when he was here. Javinko, incredible player when he was in Toronto. But, you know, I think I got to look to my guy, my main man knew who who was not so good on Saturday night. But if there is a person that embodies everything that's fun and kind of weird or weird and kind of fun about major league soccer, I think it's him. He plays with unbridled joy. Like every action he makes on the field, I feel like he like first asks himself a question. What can I do in this situation to make it the most fun? And then he does that. And if that means that he's going to, you know, bicycle kick a clearance in the 94th minute of a tied playoff game that's about to go to extra time when he could just do a regular header instead, well, he's going to bicycle kick it. If that means he's going to volley a beer can out of midair that got thrown at him from the stance, then he's going to volley that beer can as hard as he can. Um, And so, you know, I feel like, like, I don't know, people think I'm joking about my love for Nuhu, but... And, and while well, some of it is a little tongue in cheek, you know, like we, I have fun, whatever, so, like a lot of that is real. Like the guy plays with like a pure joy that I, I really find infectious <laughs> um, and I really do enjoy it, like on a very serious level. So there you go. That's my answer, Joe. It's kind of out there, but I'm sticking to it.
1: Up until that last bit when you talked about it being slightly tongue in cheek for listeners out there who who aren't seeing Sam, I'm seeing him as we record this. He did not crack a smile. Every single bit of that was perfectly serious and genuine. <laughs> and I respect that so much.
2: <laughs> I don't mess with my new love, I guess. I never want to meet him, by the way. People are like, you need to do a story. You need to talk to him. And I'm like, no, I don't want to break the fourth wall. I don't want to meet
1: my hero. So I just want to leave this as it is. You have to let it breathe. Sam, you can't get too close. That might, that might compromise you there. For me, Sam, Sam talked to Nuhu and Miguel Almiron, and, and maybe you threw another guy in there, honestly, at this point. I can't remember. Jovinko, yeah. Jovinko, thank you. It would be a, a short, giant CGI statue made of gold. <laughs> but for me, for me, I've got a couple different answers here. First of all, Chris Wondolowski. I mean, Sam, last year, this is kind of in yeah, line with your Nuhu I bit. Yeah, should have picked Wanda. Last year, he had a one-game red card suspension. So he missed, it was a midweek game, I think, against the Philadelphia Union. And instead of just chilling and hanging out in a suite, in San Jose at the stadium, Wando hopped into the stands surrounded by a bunch of rabid Earthquakes fans and celebrated a goal probably harder than anyone else in the entire stadium. The shirt came off, everybody. The shirt came off. Wando was going crazy. And, and to add to that mls E moment, he also has scored the most goals ever in MLS history. And so I think he also deserves the statue or, or is close to deserving a golden giant CGI statue. But again, mostly just because of his uh, his shirtless celebration in the stands.
2: Um, that's a great choice, one that I should <laughs> that have did. made. I'm a little embarrassed that I didn't make it. I just wrote a giant like oral history, sort of, of Chris Wondolowski, the man, along with a couple of my colleagues, <laughs> and that Wando blackout. That's the official term for it, as used by all of his friends and loved ones. Um, that happens all the time, and it's so you talk about pure emotion on the soccer fields like that guy's just like living it to the fullest always and like i respect that level of authenticity in any shape or form
1: no i'm right there with you and i think he would make an excellent giant statue we'll probably get one outside of san jose at, at some point at least i would hope other, so i hope so as well my my other option for these giant golden cgi statues that sort of represent quintessential major league soccer is a is a double statue maybe they're maybe they're kicking the ball back and forth maybe they're just standing next to each other arm around each other it's Tyler Adams and Alfonso Davies. Both of these guys represent what Don Garber, I think, is trying to get the league to do. And Sam, you can speak to this maybe, maybe in just a second. But Don Garber kind of wants Major League Soccer, emphasis on kinda, to be a selling league and to be a league that develops talent and is moving them on. And I think Tyler Adams and Alfonso Davies with RB Leipzig and Bayern Munich respectively are kind of the, the two poster children of Major League Soccer's youth development pipeline, and I I think they would make fantastic CGI statues.
2: (laughs) I like that pick. I think you can get rid of the kind that wants to make it a selling league. It's a newer development and a sea change from what MLS was a decade ago, but the league is all in on that. Um, They definitely want to Develop homegrowns and sell them for millions of dollars. That is a revenue stream that they haven't been able to take advantage of and that they want to. Um, so that's, that's definitely something they want. I like that call. I don't know, you know, I don't, did those guys even ever play against each other? I would feel kind of weird about having them together. You know, it's not like we saw them a lot. At the same That's time fair. in MLS, you know we can do
1: bookends. One can be on on one side and the other can be on the other side of the statue. Yeah,
2: I thought you were going to go with Joseph Martinez and Miguel Amiron when you were setting that up with with the duo and, and doing the Dragon Ball Z thing. That they oh yeah, do. that'd it's, be good as a celebration. Yeah. <laughs>
1: okay, that can be your uh, your what third and fourth player, fourth and fifth player. I think what we've learned through answering DG's question is that we just need some sort of large factory operation that can produce these statues very quickly because it seems like yes. you and I have already come up with quite a few statues that need to be made.
2: Yeah, I mean this would this would I feel like be a good economic plan for our country as well as like a positive development for soccer. So, it's a it's a real win-win. It's impossible
1: to argue with that, Sam. On to the next question. <laughs> this one is from Matthew Bros who asks which roster in Major League Soccer is poised for a worst to first kind of year, and then which roster is going the other way? So top to bottom, bottom to top. Sam, what do you got?
2: Well, uh, worst. It's a pretty small pool, right? Because like three quarters of the teams made the playoffs, so you can't really pick a playoff team as as the answer to the worst to first. So looking at the teams that did not make it, you have Chicago, Atlanta, DC, and Cincinnati in the East, and in the West you have Vancouver. Galaxy, Salt Lake, and Houston. I think we can eliminate Vancouver, Salt Lake, Houston right away. I think we can eliminate... I'm, I'm comfortable eliminating Cincinnati um, as well, which leaves us with what? Atlanta, D.C., Chicago, and L.A.? Uh, I think D.C. will be better. I think they underperformed their talent this year. They're going to have a new head coach, so I expect them to get better. They're not going to be first or anything like that, though. So, you've got Atlanta, Chicago, and the Galaxy. I mean... <sighs> I'm going to get rid of Chicago because I think while they underperform their talents, they're, they're, the cavalry is not on the way. Most of their big signings are spoken for. Um, so I think they'll get better, but I don't think they're going to be top of the table or anything like that, which leaves Atlanta and the Galaxy by process of elimination. Both of these teams are going to look a lot different, I think, by the start of next season than they do right now. So it's kind of hard to project. Um, that being said, I think I'm going to pick the Galaxy here. I actually picked the Galaxy to win MLS Cup this year. So you probably shouldn't listen to anything (laughs) I have to say regarding predictions. Um, but I think whoever comes in there as head coach, and I think it should be Greg Vanny. Will it be? I don't know, but I think it should be. And I think, especially if it is Greg Vanny, I think he'll get that team playing a lot better very quickly. They might have to get rid of some guys. They might have to rotate that roster. Um, so it might take a little bit of time, but even if it, even if they do have to make some moves over the next few transfer windows they have a lot more talent on that roster than than what they showed this year and i think a little bit of cohesion a couple of signings in the back um they'll play way 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 better than they did in 2020
1: yeah i mean the galaxy have real pieces on the roster with a new head coach potentially greg Vanny coming in they've got jonah Dos Santos, they have sebastian legit i mean they have these really talented central midfielders that they can work with yeah and that that's a good spine right then Efra Alvarez, who, who was in camp with the U.S. men's national team earlier this month. He's a talented kid who could pick up minutes in attacking midfield and is good enough to to break games in Major League Soccer. I like that pick, Sam. I like that pick a lot.
2: Yeah, and Chicharito literally can't be worse. <laughs> so, you know, if, if he's on that team next year and I have a hard time believing anyone else will take that contract on, um, so I do expect him to be there, uh, I think he'll be better too.
1: Your process of elimination ended with your pick, the Galaxy, and also my pick over in the Eastern Conference, Atlanta United. They were 12th in the East this season, or this past season, I guess. But the Cavalry is sort of coming, at least it seems like for their manager, Argentinian manager Gabriel Heinz. I'm not sure if I said that right, to be honest.
2: Heinze. Heinze? Heinze uh, there, I, I've heard a few different pronunciations this past week. Um, you know, back in the day, I was 06 World Cup, and I think he moved to Manchester United shortly thereafter. It was always Heinze back then. So I don't know. I don't know if that's changed or if we've updated it, but that's how. That's what I call him.
1: Okay, I'll go with Heinze until I'm proven otherwise. Argentinian manager Gabriel Heinze is coming in, or reportedly, and it might that might happen any second now, pretty much, down in Atlanta. And with him, he's going to bring some of that South American culture back to Atlanta United that disappeared under Frank DeBoer, but was there originally with Tata Martino when Atlanta first came into the league. Heinze has that aggressive Marcelo Bielsa-inspired tactical style. He's probably going to bring some young attacking talent with him. And then looking at the current roster, which is kind of the question that Matthew Bros asked, looking at the roster they have now, Marcelino Moreno, number 10. Jurgen Dam, speed out wide on the right side. Miles Robinson, speed to cover in the back. Joseph Martinez coming back from injury eventually next season. I don't know exactly when that will be. All of those pieces combined with Emerson Heinemann and, and George Bellow at left back. There there are guys on this Atlanta roster similar to the Galaxy's roster that when you add a new coach in a rejuvenated locker room to those pieces, you could really be cooking with gas in 2021. You could be.
2: Or it could just fall flat on its face again. That's the yep. beauty of sports. We don't know. Um <laughs> So, yeah, I think a lot depends on Joseph and how healthy he is and how fast he can get going. Uh, He sets the tone for that team in so many different ways on the field and off. Um, I do have real concerns about their center backs, though. You mentioned Miles Robinson. He was not good last year, took a big step back. Um, So I'm curious to see what happens with Atlanta in that way.
1: Yeah, I mean, you'd be hard-pressed to find a player on that roster who didn't take a step back last year. Maybe outside of George Bellow, but... I see your point, Sam. I yeah, see your point. Outside of
2: people who didn't play the year before. Right,
1: exactly. <laughs> Those guys took a big step forward, believe it or not. Flipping the question and looking at the other part of what Matthew was asking, teams that could go from the top of the table first to worst, or maybe just be dramatically worse than they were this past season. For me, I've got Toronto FC. Y- you, we asked a lot of questions about Atlanta and the Galaxy. I have major questions about what's happening with Toronto. Greg Benny is done, and now they're left with... A lot of things that need to be filled, a lot of different areas on the field that are are questionable. Michael Bradley really struggles to move and defend at this point in his career. And other than Chris Mavinga, their center back core is, is really slow and pretty fragile. I have serious questions about this Toronto team, and they could all be answered. And Toronto could be just fine if they bring in the right coach, supplement the roster with new players that can really help this team. But right now, we just don't know.
2: I guess I would respond to that with a question of my own, Joe. Please. You outlined some of the problems with Toronto FC. Which of those problems didn't exist this year?
1: Yeah, you're not entirely wrong about that at all. When,
2: when they finished with second in the East. So they were able to overcome all of those. Um, now they faded pretty badly down the stretch and ended up losing the first round of the playoffs. They had the difficulties of having to live and play in East Hartford and not be with their families or in their homes. Um, and they are bringing on a new coach. Um, but if they go out and get Patrick Vieira, who, according to reports, they're, they're speaking with or have spoken with, um, would you bet against them? And they have an open DP spot, too. So. I don't know. I think that's going to be interesting. I thought about answering Toronto, but as you can see, I, I talked myself <laughs> out of it. Um, I don't really have a great answer for this, to be totally honest with you. I, I think out West, most of the teams should who are good this year should be good again. I don't think Kansas City will win the regular season again, but I don't, I don't think they'll be bad or anything like that. Um, in the East, I mean, I kind of hate to do this, but Philadelphia, I think that's the pick. Support Shield winners. And that's not really saying that they're going to be awful or anything like next year, but they are losing Brendan Aronson, uh, who was a key piece for them. Um, best 11, I believe. Um, although I don't How? think he was the best midfielder on his team this year. Um, he got a, the runaway hype train kind of got carried away on that one, in my opinion. Um, but they, they didn't really have many injuries. Um, Kind of a, a lot of everything that could go right kind of did go right. And so I feel like there's going to be a little bit of regression to the mean for the union. Not to say that they won't be decent or make the playoffs or be good next year, but I don't think they're going to be top of the league or all of that, all that close to it. As a matter of fact, they don't have much depth. The margin for their error there is just very small and they were able to exist within it this season. Um, That sort of thing is hard to sustain for multiple years, though, and I think they'll fall back to earth.
1: And it's hard because I don't want to overstate one game. Just like we talked about with Aiden Morris, we don't want to, to over-dramatize an impact that that player had in any one game. And I, I don't want to do that with the Union either. But in the MLS Cup playoffs, Philadelphia matched up with the New England Revolution in either the first or second. It was probably the second round, maybe even the third round. It was the all- first,
2: first round. It was the Revs' second game because they had to play the play-in round in oh, the East. Oh, Perfect.
1: Yeah, yes. that's, that's great. Um, thank you for, for fact-checking me there, Sam. That's why I'm here. <laughs> uh, the Union played that game against Bruce Arena's New England Revolution, and they got stopped. They got beaten just as badly as Seattle was beaten in MLS Cup, mm-hmm. maybe worse. They struggled to, to string passes together. They struggled to contain the New England Revolution's attack. And I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case all the time in 2021, but the cracks are there. And if you are missing a guy like Brendan Aronson, which they're going to be missing, you start to ask questions about what this team is going to look like and what Jim Curtin can do to add another dimension to that team in 2021. I see where you're coming from on that one.
2: Yeah, and the health thing is real too. Oli Bedoya played a ton of minutes. Jamiro Montero played a ton of minutes. Martinez was in and out a few times with some injuries and with COVID, I believe. But for the most part, that team stayed remarkably healthy all year and, and that sort of thing doesn't tend to happen two years in a row um and, and it's not really down to any reason but l- luck i know they put a, a lot of emphasis on performance and sports science there so they can perform above the margins but some of that's gonna hit you at some point and so I, I do worry about that for philly next year
0: looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com
1: slash courtside to learn more. On to our next question. This one is from Matt, who asks, In the dreaded situation where Chris Wondolowski moves clubs to a contender, Where would you see him fitting in best next season? Sam, Wando currently out of contract with the Earthquakes. They're discussing a new deal. If that doesn't happen, if that falls through and Wando does come back and wants to play in Major League Soccer, where does he fit?
2: So I think there's a pretty obvious answer here, Joe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it's LAFC, in my opinion. You know, they just ran it back with Bradley Wright Phillips to really great effect this year. Uh, They did not pick up his option for 2021 which makes me think that they have maybe something cooking with another striker. Maybe there's a sale for Rossi or Rodriguez and maybe a new DP coming in. Um, either way, I think they they probably need another option there, although Danny Mazovsky did really well this year, to be fair to him, in a reserve role. So maybe, maybe they won't go. But um, if he wants to play for a contender, and he does, he's spoken about that, um, then I think that would be a, a really good fit. Um, and then in the East, maybe New York City FC, maybe Toronto, I feel like those would both be pretty good fits where he could come on. I mean, Wando's old. He's 38. He was never the fastest guy. Um, But are you going to bet against him coming on in the final 15 minutes a game, getting free for a chance like inside the six yard box and burying it? Like that's, that's points over the course of the year. You know, he's probably worth like six, nine points just on that alone. And that makes a real impact.
1: It's harder to find a contender that Wando doesn't fit on because of his skill set. His skill set is get inside the box, be in the six-yard box, and score goals. His his skill set is moving around, finding space, confusing the absolute heck out of defenders, and getting the ball and putting it in the back of the net. Every team in Major League Soccer wants that. Every team needs that. But for me, Sam, it's exactly what you said at the beginning. It's LAFC, I think would be the best fit. Wando and Bob Bradley working together for Wando swan song. I mean, that is... That's delicious, first of all. And then you look at how effective Bradley Wright Phillips was last year. In just over 1,000 minutes, BWP had eight goals and was the seventh best player in the entire league in terms of XG per game, among players with at least that 1,000-minute threshold. Look at
2: Joe coming with the stats, by the way. Oh, yeah. That's that's real show prep, ladies and gentlemen.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So it's like, why? Thank you, Sam. First of all, why couldn't Wando go to LA and play about 1,000, 1,500 minutes, start some games, come off the bench in other games? and just score goals. It sounds like a pretty much perfect situation for me, and, and I don't think that'll happen. But man, if it did, it would be so much fun. I mean,
2: you you said it right. There's not really a team where he doesn't fit, right? Who wouldn't want those qualities? Atlanta, I think, could be a good one too, right? It gives you insurance uh, in terms of how Joseph recovers from his injury. Um, and that was a huge, huge problem for them this year. Uh, and I think one last one for you, Orlando. Right. Daryl DK, I think, is is probably gonna be the starter there. Dom Dwyer is a free agent. I don't expect him to return. Um so they, they're gonna need another body. Um and you know, Wando could help out a developing younger striker in DK who might miss a good chunk of the season potentially, maybe at the Gold Cup, maybe at the Olympics, um, but gone with international duty. So maybe that's an interesting option too.
1: I love that. I love the uh the tutoring that I can imagine Chris Wondolowski and, and Daryl DK entering into in Orlando next season. Moving on to our next question. This one is from Rich Raza, who asks, which young American will burst onto the MLS scene next year the way Aronson did this year? I've got a few names. Sam, I want to flip it to you first. Who do you think could have an Aronson-esque, maybe not best 11 breakout, but a but a good season as a young American next year?
2: I think Caden Clark is a pretty obvious choice, right? He, he kind of came on late in the game for the red bulls signed uh, a homegrown contract i believe after the homegrown rights were transferred from minnesota and that was a whole thing um but once once he got on the field he started producing immediately 17 uh, year old uh, big prospect there's a reason he's in that red bull system and left minnesota not they didn't have an academy at the time but there's a reason he chose red bull over other mls teams and that's because salzburg and leipzig and that whole pathway Right. So I think they'll can. I think they see him as an asset globally, and I think they'll play him and I think he'll do pretty well for them next year. So that that's my pick.
1: Caden Clark was on my list as well. He's got that clause reportedly in his contract that would allow RB Leipzig to get their hands on him as or before 2022 next season. I think Gerhard Struber is going to like Caden Clark for all the work he does on and off the ball. My pick, though, if I had to pick one guy. It's Christian Torres. 16-year-old left winger for LAFC. I like He's that. a really, really, really young kid. But he started three games this year, not a lot of games, three games this past season and scored a goal. But what he showed in those 200-ish minutes, probably, but what he showed in those 200-plus minutes was speed and quickness over short and long distances, a smooth right foot to cut inside on his right foot from that left wing. He can combine inside or out wide. I think he could be in line, most importantly, for some real minutes next year, if or when LAFC sell Diego Rossi and Brian Rodriguez. So all of those factors for me equal Christian Torres getting more minutes for Bob Bradley and probably doing some good things.
2: I actually picked Torres as my, you know, out of nowhere playoff hero. Didn't quite work out that way, but I like that pick and I like him as a player. He's he's definitely got something. He's very young.
1: Yeah, a couple other options. Moses Nyman for DC United. They're going to have a new head coach coming in. If that head coach likes to develop younger talent and play younger players, Nyman could get some real chances to build on his 500-ish minutes that he got last year. And then Efra Alvarez, I don't know if he fits in this category for a couple different reasons. Rich asked about young Americans, and we're not really sure where he falls at the moment. I mean, he is he is American. I'm not trying to target the dual national label I think here. he. I think he counts.
2: I okay. think dual nationals fall in. Yeah. He hasn't committed to one program or the other.
1: Yeah. Perfect. He's a guy who is going to be an impact player for the Galaxy, barring some real unforeseen circumstances in 2021. So between uh, Efra Alvarez and Moses Nyman and Christian Torres, we talked about Aiden Morris earlier, but he's probably not going to play a lot this next season as as we already went through. There is a promising young crop of young American talent coming up in Major League Soccer. On to our next question. This one is from Jeremy, who asks, in order, and this is another young American question, in order, who gets sold for the most amount of money? Caden Clark, John Luca Bucio, Mark McKenzie, Brian Reynolds, and Daryl DK. So that's a list of five different younger guys playing in Major League Soccer. This one's kind of tricky, Sam, and so I'm going to make you do most of the legwork here. And then I'm just going to sort of chime in at the end with either thoughts or critiques or just my own list.
2: Okay, run those names back for me and the listeners one more time as my dog sort of barks in the background. You might be able to hear that in a second. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so we've got Caden Clark, 17-year-old attacking midfielder for the Red Bulls. Gianluca Busio, 18-year-old central midfielder for Sporting Kansas City. Mark McKenzie, 21-year-old center back for the Union. Brian Reynolds, 19-year-old right back for Dallas. And Daryl DK, 20-year-old striker for Orlando City.
2: Hmm. So this is a good question. It's a tough question, but it's a good question. Um, I just talked up Caden Clark. I think under normal circumstances, I think I would actually pick him. But... It's going to be a Red Bull The Red Bull move. Those are going to come at a discount, you know? So I think that that factors into the to, the, to this answer for sure. Definitely. Uh, McKenzie, center back, usually a little bit cheaper than the midfielders and the more attacking players. DK, older. So I think that that's going to bring his price down. Reynolds, I like him. I don't think he's going to move for a ton of money. Again, position plays a role there. You know when you talk about an outside back, so I guess if we're going, I mean that leaves me with Bucio, I want to say, but I don't, I don't want to pick Bucio for this either. <laughs> do do we have a number on the Caden Clark cause? I can't. Remember I don't believe so. I, I
1: researched this morning and I had not seen a number reported yet.
2: Okay, I think I'm still going to pick him first. Crazy as that sounds, um, I think I'm going to pick him first, and then I think I'm going to take McKenzie. Then Reynolds, then Busia,
1: then DK. How about that? I like that. It's not. I don't think they all go. By the way, I don't think they all get sold. In in the next year, in the next couple years, or ever, ever. Like
2: some of them will wind down their contracts. Some of them will leave for free. Some of them might stick around. You know, I think we have this expectation now that everyone's going to get sold. It's still a thing that has happened very rarely in MLS history, in the grand scheme of things. Um, and so I think, you know, while these guys are coming off of strong seasons, um, in some cases, and, and look promising for sure, I don't think it's a sure thing that they're ever going to go. Um, and the club has to want to do it too, right? That's the other part of this that never ever gets talked about, really, is like, all right, well, if Daryl DK turns into a great striker for Orlando, there's real value in Orlando keeping him. Right. And and given that he's a little bit older than the rest of these guys, like, is the bid going to be worth it for them to accept TBD? Right. That being said, I feel like I should change my answer again. I'm all over the place. And now I feel like I should put Busio first. But whatever, I'll just stick with what I gave.
1: I liked what you gave, Sam. I appreciated it. If if all of these guys are going to get sold and going to be moved over to likely European clubs, my rankings that I came up with while you were going and installing for me. Mark McKenzie, number one, he's 21 years old. He's the oldest of this entire crop. That man, the rumors around him moving to Celtic or to other European clubs have been strong enough. And it seems like smart soccer people have a high opinion of his game at center back. It seems like he could be a, a higher price tag kind of guy moving on from Philadelphia. Brian Reynolds is number two for me. I know I have started the defenders first, which seems wrong and probably is. But Brian <laughs> Reynolds and the upside that he brings as a modern right back, he's so fast. His legs are really long. He covers an incredible amount of ground, and he can whip a ball into the box like almost no one else in Major League Soccer. Brian Reynolds is number two for me. Caden Clark I put right in the middle because of that discount that RB Leipzig are almost certainly going to get. Then I've got Busio and Daryl DK at four and five. So my list kind of looks backwards with the defenders first and the the attackers last, but I'm going with it. And the great news is I'm definitely going to be wrong.
2: I mean, I had the defenders two and three, so we weren't all that different (laughs) um i think mckenzie is probably the most likely to go first if that makes sense yeah um i think if not this winter then within the next year um that being said you know i don't think the celtic would pay a huge fee for him like i i just don't know if the market like is the market going to be higher for mckenzie than it was for aronson who went for six million i don't think so i don't think so just and that's that's like a purely that's kind of a position thing Like, and I think Aronson is a little more unique and does a few more interesting things than McKenzie. Not to say McKenzie isn't a good player. I think it's just he's a little bit more, uh, less unique, I guess. (laughs) There's, there are more players like McKenzie than there are like Aronson in, in, in global soccer. So I think that kind of depresses the market for him.
1: We'll leave the actual financial decision-making to those financial decision-makers at actual European clubs. And you and I, Sam, will move on to our last question of the episode. This one is from Donald Norman, who says, The people want to know the story of Miami's pseudo-firing of Diego Alonso. What happened, Sam?
2: Yeah, yeah, this was a... Yeah, this was an afternoon for me and my my buddy, Paul Tenorio. So, for those who are unaware and don't know any of the background of the situation, I'll supply it. Uh, Yesterday, we were recording on Tuesday, so Monday, Paul Tenorio and I got info from several sources that Diego Alonso and her Miami head coach had been fired. Um, We subsequently, you know, we firmed that up. We got it to a place where we felt comfortable reporting it. And we reported it. And after that, we got several other calls from people that, you know, we had actually reached out to, but hadn't heard back from before we published the initial story saying, hey, he wasn't fired. Turns out he had a meeting with Inter-Miami ownership. Uh, You know, the owners basically outlined their disappointment at the season and how it went. They were obviously... They finished in 10th in the Eastern Conference. 7-13-3 was their record that made the playoffs, but that's not good in any way, shape, or form. And something got miscommunicated or lost in translation, and Diego Alonso thought he was fired, began telling people within the team that he was fired when, in fact, he was not fired. So that's what happened. Um, Me and Paul regret the air big time. Um, Glad that we were able to correct it in short order. Uh, but still regret the air um, for sure. Uh, Alonso's status, I i wouldn't be surprised if he ended up being gone and not Inter-Miami coach by the time next season starts. I think this is a pretty difficult thing <laughs> to sort of come back from, you know, uh, within the club. Um, it would be kind of awkward, you know, recruiting players to a situation like that um, if Diego Alonso is still the head coach. So it's going to be, I don't think that story is done yet, He was and is one of the highest paid coaches in Major League Soccer. Um, So, that's an element here. Uh, And I'm certain that his contract was for more than one year. But yeah, so that's the story. Definitely a weird one. Um, Not often that someone believes he is fired and tells his colleagues as much
1: when in fact he has not been fired, but that is the case or was the case in Miami. That just blows my mind. That meeting, right? I wonder what must have happened there, and and where that communication slipped through the cracks. Because that is just, that's just bonkers.
2: Maybe it was it was just a writing on the wall thing. I don't know. I I shouldn't really speculate on this, to be totally honest. But, uh, yeah, it's definitely crazy.
1: Well, there you have it. Donald Sam sums it up as it's definitely crazy. I think that fits the bill quite well. Sam Stagel, thank you for coming on the show today to talk MLS Cup and to run through these different listener questions with me. I truly appreciate it.
2: Thank you so much, Joe. I truly appreciate
1: being on. It was a lot of fun. Listeners, thank you for listening, and The Total Soccer Show will be back again soon.